creative, clever, rebellious, and fast. That's a marketing brand combo we all would want to be a part of. Let's head in-house to find out how one of the world's leading SaaS companies is turning B2B tech marketing on its head. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to The Content Rebels. Do you work in-house? Maybe you work for a big brand or even a smaller company. Either way, working within a company's marketing department can have some seriously good advantages, like the deep knowledge that comes from creating content for a particular brand or the flow that happens when you work with a great team time and time again. But working from the inside also presents its own challenges. We've talked a lot on this podcast about finding the space to be truly creative whilst dealing with those approval processes, deadlines, financial strain, whatever comes your way, really. So let's take a look at in-house creativity from someone who's living it every day. <gasps> Melissa Rosenthal is the Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp. How are you? I'm glad we're finally connecting. Me too, because Melissa isn't just a powerhouse for ClickUp. She was named in the <gasps> Forbes 30 Under 30 Business Insider's 30 Most Creative People Under 30, and as one of DigiDay's Changemakers. Oh, and before that, well, Melissa also led BuzzFeed's global creative team. She's one of the marketers that got BuzzFeed to where it is today. I was beyond thrilled to welcome Melissa to the Content Rebels and couldn't wait to hear about her amazing career. It, it's definitely been more of an unconventional career than someone that's taken more of a linear path through, you know, the agency route or the in-house route. I so enjoy the creative wisdom Melissa shared with me, and I hope you do too. So I started by asking her why she was even drawn to marketing in the first place. Why I was drawn to marketing, uh, very, very early growing up, my dad was in event marketing and I used to help out with uh, a lot of his, uh, a lot of his experiential, um, accounts. And just for fun on the weekends, I would go and help set up and I would talk to people or hand things out. And I loved the idea of connecting with people. And I think that's fundamentally what got me really interested in marketing. Um, to begin with, the ability to connect with people in really interesting and unique ways and adding that lover of creativity to it. So I think it was kind of in, in like in me from a very early age when I started doing that. And then I was able to really take that and um, extrapolate on it in in later parts of my life. But I think it was definitely those those uh, weekends that definitely instilled some sort of very large interest in marketing in me. I love that. And I love as well, it, it, it does all come back to connection, right? And connecting with people. And I think there's so many buzzwords and so much fanfare around, you know, in inverted commas marketing these days, but ultimately it does all come back to just the art of finding great ways to connect with other humans. Um, and so on that point, you know, it obviously takes a lot of creativity to do that. What, what does 
creativity? You are a creative officer. What what does creativity mean to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think creativity for me is always looking at challenging the status quo, um, looking at things that haven't been done before, thinking about how to connect with people in new and unique and creative ways and how to create noise. Um, I think a lot of these things are just kind of ingrained in the way that I view what the blue sky opportunity is. I, I sort of look at everything as like, hey, let's not play in spaces that are saturated. What is something that we can do that others aren't doing? Um, and taking new bets and new ways of, of making that noise. Uh, and that's what creativity is to me. It's it's finding those blue sky opportunities in which you can stand out, differentiate, and still make that connection um, in a very meaningful way and have people talk about you. Uh, whether it's polarizing or it's not, I think the more that you can get people talking and the more that you can um, you know, earn that connection is really true creativity. And do you feel like that has changed over time though, that the demand or the need for creativity has has changed in marketing. It used to all be pretty simple, perhaps, and now to create that noise, as you say, it, is it is it harder? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's different depending on what type of industry you're in. Um, I think you'd you've seen like the ebbs and flows of of probably creativity at its highest peak of, you know, the ad, you know, the Mad Men advertising agency, Wyden Kennedy days of pitching um, versus the like, you know, lesser, uh, the, I would say less highbrow ways of coming up with creative ideas, which Makes sense because a lot of it has become democratized. There's more creative ways to do things than just a giant ad campaign, which is, you know, probably a little bit outdated. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, especially in SaaS, uh, the answer is a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's, uh, the biggest blue sky opportunity to do creative things. I think, um, it's a little harder because in SaaS, uh, there's definitely an expectation to tie creativity further back to ROI than in consumer brand. Um, consumer gets to have a lot of fun with the ideas that they come up with, knowing that just, you know, general awareness and, and noise are uh, very important to building brand. And it's how brands grow versus SaaS, where, you know, there are like hard metrics and all of those have ROI attributed to them. So I think, you know, there there is an understanding. I think it's a harder fight on the SaaS side um, for people to understand why creativity is so, uh, you know, incredibly important in, in building brands and how it's not just product-led growth. It needs to go hand in hand with brand-led growth as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that people are now seeing that need for creativity, especially with AI, because uh, the one thing that AI can't completely replicate is, you know, human ideas and, and, and emotions and connection and, and out of the box thinking. Do you feel like that? I love that point around, or rather, I don't love that point around how, you know, the, the need for creativity or the need for any marketing activity, really, I guess, it to be linked back to ROI, which I, of course, I get is so important, but it can be a bit of a creativity killer yeah. to always, you know, having to, to justify your ideas. How do you navigate that, especially in SaaS land? I mean, I think there's um, a a definite like bifurcation of how you should think about it. One being there are certain 
creative assets and elements that you'll create that can certainly be tied back to ROI. And I think that's completely fair. And you build those assets to be tied. If it's a performance ad, you can build that um, with the, you know, the strategy and the structure and formatting in which a performance ad would perform. Now, I certainly also believe you can insert creativity into that and make it differentiated. But obviously, there are ways that those ads perform and reasons. So you, you kind of go along with that. Um, with other brand campaigns and larger, um, you know, I would say noise making content generation creation and ideas and, and strategies, some of those won't be directly tied back to ROI, at least not at first. Um, and some of them, that ROI will be anecdotal. So I think it, you know, building kind of a, a layered, a layered structure of the types of activities that you want to engage in. Um, where the ROI and what the ROI will be, whether it's, you know, dollar for dollar or if it's tied back to more anecdotal conversational ROI, um, I think is a good way to justify that to leadership. It's a good way to lay out your plan. It's a good way to show people that you understand the different assets, the different elements that you're creating and how those, the, how those, um, do generate ROI, even if it's not, uh, you know, physical. For sure. Yeah. Cause if you've got that solid base of stuff that is performing and you can prove, you know, that yeah. it's, it's working, then you've got. And I, and one extra point there is I, I still believe that even the assets and creative that you are, you know, uh, beholden to that ROI, it, you can insert creativity into those and, and make them unique and special. And, and I don't want to discount that. Creativity has such a mystical thing about it, doesn't it? Melissa does make a good point, though. It makes for an easier conversation with executives and leadership if you have some solid work that is performing, and then you can start to tweak it. There's no doubt that Melissa and her team at ClickUp have refined their creative process, because this well-oiled machine has been coming up with what I think are very rebellious videos. ClickUp is a B2B tech SaaS product, right? Well, lately though, it's been blowing up in my feed because they are using these very clever videos to bring the benefits of their products and services to life. We'll talk in depth about one of those videos in a moment, but what I wanted to know was how on earth Melissa got this type of rebellious creative work approved. So I asked her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. It, it's we had been working and building up our both internal studio, our, uh, you know, repository of the content that we had created that had performed our style, our unique voice and brand tone and personality, something that we had become known for. Um, and I think years of doing that and building up the confidence and the, the trust um, allows you to take more risks. And the, you know, the hypothesis is, hey, why would, you know, we have this uh, manpower internally, we have these amazing creative minds, what we can do is so differentiated than any other company out there, we should start creating these shorts. Um, and these videos, you know, can speak to things that are outside of the realm of direct project management. Uh, they can speak to culture and things that are happening within, within work culture and within technology like AI. And peripherally, when you are able to insert yourself in enough of these conversations, you're going to draw attention back to the company. Um, so it's a multi-layered, you know, kind of approach, more like a media company when you think about it. It's like, let's create things that have the potential to go viral within the work force, um, which will effectively attribute that back to us and hopefully garner interest in the product. 
and also taking you know smart takes on it and and i think that's that was the hypothesis behind it it's like can we make uh can we make a video that goes viral that talks about ai i'm sure we can we have the talent here let's try to do that and speaking about that particular one because it is uh it is my favorite um was that that's how you came up with the idea was basically pitched to the team to your team to say you know this is obviously a big conversation that's going on this year around ai let's start throwing some blue sky ideas around about how we could create a viral video yeah i mean it was everyone is talking about this um let's insert ourselves in the conversation our product was announced you know clickup was announcing integration of of ai within the platform in the next coming weeks and we thought we had a really unique perspective on the way that we could tackle it and make it funny and and kind of just speak to everything that everyone was already thinking. Um, and I think when you're able to do that, you form this connection with people where it's like they get it. Um, and when people feel that way, they also feel like they can either trust the product or they recommend the product. So there's a lot that goes into that. And, you know, there's, there's several, you know, ways of, of attacking the conversation of AI and we tried all of them. Um, and some did better than others, but we were able to really take this full kind of throttle approach. And it also taught us a lot about what people were resonating with and what they were concerned about too. So uh, there were a lot of learnings from that series as well. Let's stop for a second. Have you guys seen any of these videos from ClickUp? They really are doing something that hasn't been done before. My favorite at the moment is this one where there's a rap battle between marketing creatives and AI. If you haven't heard it yet, here's a little snippet. Here comes the marketing king with strategy so tight. Take my teeth into campaigns like Edward from Twilight. SEO, content, social media too. I'll get your message popping off like pew, pew, pew. So we utilize ChatGPT in so many different ways. So yes, in, in that video specifically, ChatGPT wrote its own raps. And then we um, augmented the voice uh, through another AI tool so that it was it was actually ChatGPT effectively rapping back at us. Yo, I'm ChatGPT4, the AI sensation, master of words, sparking conversations. I analyze data, trends, and stats, optimizing content, no time to relax. We didn't want to think for it, and it was able to do that itself. In some of the other videos, ChatGPT actually wrote the entire script, and that was kind of the, it was a very meta ad. So there's um, a lot of, you know, great ways that we can utilize it. And and who are the, the dudes? Are they actually marketers in your team, or are they actual rappers? Because they're pretty good at it. <laughs> no, they're just employees. You never you never know what you can pull out of people when until they're asked uh, to, to star in a video and all of a sudden they they become um, hip-hop artists so your words are persuasive I can't help but agree the human touch is something that can't be replicated by me and you're right there's value in the human connection but AI enhances it's not a rejection maybe we can come together to achieve great things the power of tech meets the power of human beings look at us all get so close and snugly this will all work as long as you don't unplug since you have trouble with emotions let me explain my smirk I've had enough with this battle. Let's all get to work. Cool, right? But here's the thing. It's not just about the creative genius behind this kind of stuff. Although, of course, you do need that. But it's also that here's a brand that has the drive to move quickly to make something that works and is really meaningful within our current cultural moment. Even just the approval process that's needed and the timelines to make it that quickly, it's something that's such a struggle for so many marketing teams. So 
how do they do it? At that point, we had discussed the strategy around creating conversational short form video content and that had been agreed upon and approved. And it was really, let's experiment. We, we know what we're doing. Uh, we have the trust. Let's just create all the commentary we can on AI. So no one was individually approving scripts anymore. It was, let's go out the door with something that we think we can make noise with. And, you know, we, we created about I think it was seven videos across the spectrum of like the AI content or maybe eight or nine. And they got several millions of views, like incredible anecdotal comments, incredible feedback on them. Um, a few of them, you know, went viral on their own. So, um, you know, it was definitely the reception was very positive. I love that. So it was really, you know, way back at the beginning before even having the the specific video ideas, you're getting the overall concept of let's have the flexibility to be creative here in short form video. And then you and your team just got to go and do do what you wanted. Exactly. I think after we pulled off the the Super Bowl ad and the latest conference that um the trust was there enough that we could we could do something great. Mm, trust is so important. I think especially, you know, in the the current economic environment as well that you know, it's the trust between the people working in organizations that really is going to carry everybody through. I feel like there's a lot of panic out there, but if everyone bands together and keeps working strategically, then I think we'll get through it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also the element of kind of, you know, being a buffer um, and being like a creative leader in a buffer because, yeah, I mean, the reality is the market isn't great right now. You know, we, we saw valuations that were peaking during COVID come down, back down to reality. Um, and everyone's dealing with that. But I think as a creative leader versus people that are executing on strategies, I think you kind of have to keep that separate a little bit and, and keep them in a mindset in which they're focused on producing their best work. And um, you as a leader can have those conversations and deal with the, the stress and the anxiety where it doesn't you know, trickle down. Because I think the minute you start to get people in, in a headspace where they're concerned about the macroeconomic environment, you start to lose that creativity. I, I've always found that you try to, you know, be, be transparent as possible, but at the same time, um, you know, really make sure that they have that space from, from what's, what's happening. Such a good point. Thank you. That's a good reminder for me too. <laughs> yeah, because just one more, one more addition to that. It's, you know, especially at you as a leader, when you're stressed, when you're panicked, when when you're coming across short or you know, like deferring to things, you know, they they can read through that. And when you're relying on creativity as the tool, you know, any sort of anxiety come can creep in and really affect that. So yeah, I, I remind myself that every day. I wondered about the videos themselves and uh, how they fit into the overall marketing strategy. You talked before about, you know, that they do have, you kind of see anecdotal ROI eventually, but do you have attributions all set up? Do you know exactly how they're contributing to the broader, the broader marketing strategy? I mean, the videos, uh, the videos are challenging in certain capacities when you're putting them on LinkedIn, you know, like there's anecdotal leads that come in via via messages via comments you know via x y and c uh we do have a how did you hear about us on the site so you know there's a way to sort of track that 
Um, there is also attribution that we do in putting it in sales sequences. So you can tell what's opening up, what's actually generating demos, what's generating interest, what's getting responses back. Um, but to tie those back to closed one deals, you know, it, it is very, it, it's very challenging to do that. Um, I mean, we've seen peripherally even before some of the performance ads that we've run on, you know, on platforms like, um, like Hulu, for instance, um, they, you know, the attribution isn't actually coming through Hulu, but it's coming from someone else that reaches out saying, oh, we want to, we're evaluating ClickUp right now. Um, someone I know just saw that ad on Hulu. Can you send it to me from YouTube? And then that ends up becoming a huge deal. And who actually gets the attribution from that? Right. So I think, you know, the, the, the funnel and the journey is not, it's not as linear as we often think it is or try to map it back to be. Um, and there are these kind of, uh, just, I would probably say more so than often, a lot of other things that go into that journey. It's they saw a billboard, they heard someone talk about it, they saw that ad, they watched that ad again, they sent it to their boss. Who's getting the attribution from that? So, you know, I think it's it's an understanding of what the funnel actually looks like versus what people think the funnel should look like. Yeah, especially in B2B space. Like it's just, yeah. it's it's so complex. There's so many, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about how it's more of a buying committee, of course, than buyer personas or, you know, individuals. I definitely know some marketers who can get really tunnel vision on those attributions and seeing exactly how the lead has come in, which channels they've interacted with. But yeah. And I think the, the more you can track that, the better, like you have to have some sort of attribution in place. But if you only stick to the things that are 100% attribution based, you're never going to be able to take the opportunities that allow you to find, you know, your buyers that are outside of that. Absolutely. And again, it comes back to, you know, like trying to make everything link back to a really definitive ROI, it can kill the creativity. Yes, completely. Mm. Yeah. What about other brands besides ClickUp? Uh, that are absolutely smashing those creative ceilings right now. What do you, are you drawing inspiration from any others out there? I mean, our approach, I would say, is much more akin to like a liquid death approach on the B2C side than um, traditional B2B SaaS. Although there are a lot of other companies now that I'm seeing newer, like Series A companies that are definitely challenging the status quo. They're coming up with their own content series. Um, they're creating their own streaming hubs full of different episodic content. So there are a bunch of a bunch of companies kind of doing uh, things that I'm very impressed with. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm rooting for for that type of content creation to continue and, and be able to challenge it. So some of the newer folks in Series A, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like understanding that um, campaigns are certainly not the only way that you're going to generate like marketing buzz. And that campaign should not just be like you do one campaign and then you expect, you know, a windfall of leads. Like that's just so unrealistic. So the people that are consistently producing great content, I think are are the ones that are going to win. I 100% will bet on that. Yeah, for sure. And that that those kind of content series, episodic content like that is so beautifully hyper-personalized to their yes. audience. And that's, I think there's so much noise out there, not always good noise. The more personalized you can be, the more you know who your audience is, of course, the better. Absolutely. Uh, what advice do you have for our listeners who may want to try to at least start the process of convincing their bosses um, and leadership team to be more creative? Yeah. I mean, I think 
I would say have a couple of quick wins. Um, do small things that can prove in a microcosm that what you're doing will work. Um, and those things can, again, like be anecdotal. They can be great responses. They can be great comments. They can be your ICPs in a comment saying, this is the content I always wanted. Thank you for producing it. Um, I think it's taking a few bets and seeing what works. I'm all about like, why don't you spread yourself not too thin, but, you know, run 10 experiments and see which ones work and then double down on, on, on what's working there and be able to present that data and that social proof that, hey, these are the directions we want to go in. We're going to take 10 bets. Here's what I'm going to do. This is the budget for these 10 bets. So my recommendation would be to come, you know, to your, to your boss, your leader with a strategy of your hypothesis. Um, say these are the five or 10 experiments that, you know, potentially will either, either make this a, a winner or a loser and we will feed and starve this. And then I will, you know, come to you with a proposed budget based on what we're seeing wins or does not win. So get creative about how to ask to be more creative. People will definitely, or leaders will definitely, I would say, relate to the fact that things are very saturated and there's a lot of competition. And I say this a lot, but the democratization of technology is just so vast that you can create a product in um, in six months that, you know, would have taken years to create previously. So, you know, the things that are going to be able to separate you are your marketing and your product, but your product isn't going to leapfrog you the way that it once did. So to only consider, you know, product growth uh, versus marketing in smart ways is is short-sighted. So that's another approach that I would take too. It's kind of just like the the landscape and the argument of of why brands matter. And I think we always go through these these cycles, uh, like a hundred percent go through these cycles of of brands matter, brands don't matter, brand matters, brand doesn't matter, but brand always matters, especially if you're building a company, um, you know, a long-term company, a, a 10, 15-year company, or even a company that wants to be acquired. The more brand recognition you have, the the better the odds are from for to reach customers and also, you know, to potentially have an exit. How about in the next year? What are you guys, what are your plans? Where do you feel like your creative space is going to be taking you? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think doubling down on specific strategies that have served us well in the past. I mean, everyone is focused on efficiency. So while no Super Bowl ads, I believe there will be a lot of a lot of really great things that we will be doing around the release of, you know, the 3.0 version of the product. Also our, you know, our conference level up, you know, there's a lot of exciting ways that you can bring marketing um, campaigns and concepts to life like that. So, um, there's a lot on the horizon. You know, I think even in years of efficiency, you can, you can force that efficiency to help you be even more creative. So there's a lot that we can do. And the videos that we create cost us next to nothing. You know, we, we invested enough early on where, you know, it's, it's two to $500 a video. So I think most marketers would be drooling at the fact that we're creating things that look like they take cost 20,000 to, to create and they're, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Amazing. And is that because you've got all the skill sets in-house and everyone just knows what they're doing? All the skill sets, all the ideas, all the all the equipment, you know, we we leverage our own talent, people that work at the company. Um, we're scrappy when it comes to what we actually do to get these videos done and also how quickly we can produce them. 
I don't know if there's any other company that can produce the quality and the quantity of videos we do in a single week and come up with the amount of ideas. Um, you know, obviously don't want to burn the team out, but I think it's pretty remarkable. And to keep them inspired and talking and commenting on what's happening is is the key. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, then shielding them from, you know, stress to allow that creativity. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, you know, from your position as well as the leader, of course, you know, diamonds are are only created under extreme pressure as well. And I I try and remind myself of that, that creativity, whilst it doesn't always necessarily feel nice when there is pressure and different, you know, pain points going on, but it is, it's always happening. You've just got to make space for it. Yeah. And it also, I mean, that's also a good point. Like I think pressure also is good because it pressure tests whether something can, should be done. Um, and we've been in situations where the pressure actually has shown us like, this is not a good idea. We can't do this. And, you know, we have to put our foot down and say no, because we know that the outcome will risk our, you know, our next for it, because we know that this is a bad idea. Um, so I, I do think some pressure is is definitely uh, a good thing. Not too much, but just the right amount. Um, and the final question that we're asking everybody, but I think I already know the answer, but chat GPT, friend, foe, or flash the pan from your perspective? Uh, friend and, and co-collaborator on a lot of things. I mean, I think there's just so much that you can do and utilize. And we're only in, in the very beginning. I hope other people think this way because I think the people that will thrive in their own careers and within their companies will um, will adopt it and understand how to work with it. Um, there's just so much that you can do to, to be efficient, to save time, to um, come up with new ideas, to, um, you know, there's a lot of really great chat GPT rappers out there that are doing hyper-specific things, finding knowledge that you wouldn't be able to have tapped into previously. So um, I would say find great ways to utilize it and make you the best that you can be and to elevate you and to also take away the the work that you don't want to be doing. That is a waste of time. You know, it does a lot of that as well. So I would absolutely say friend. Um, I know that there is certainly concern about it, but I think it forces us to be more creative. And when we can leverage it, um, you know, I think we can we can create great things. There you have it. Just a little insight into the marketing world at ClickUp. It's so refreshing to hear Melissa Rosenthal talk about the creative process and working alongside brands with such a level of trust. And just look at what's possible when you do that. I love seeing brands doing rebellious things, if you didn't know that about me already. Yes, it might seem risky, but really, isn't that where the gold lies? I love it so much that I'm going to shift our focus for season two of The Content Rebels to all of those rebellious marketing campaigns. If you love to hear about the inner workings of campaigns that are taking risks and packing punches, then you'll want to tune in for this. Which reminds me, to stay up to date on all things Content Rebels, make sure you subscribe so that you can be the first to know when a new episode drops. And you can also head to our brand new website. If you haven't heard, our little business, Content Copywriting, has rebranded to be called, drumroll, Content Rebels. You can sign up to be part of the Content Rebels world. We'll send you emails from time to time, but we promise they'll never be boring. A heartfelt thanks for going on this journey with me and my team through the first series. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed making it. And a big thank you to all the guests who have so generously given up their time to talk to me. We're taking a little break for now, but we'll be back for season two before long. So can't wait to see you then.
Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to The Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Awabakal and Darkenjund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions.